Recorded live. Hello, this is Lama Santrapa. Welcome to the 11th teleseminar of the Tai Chi and Qigong coaching programs. I am really proud of you. You have been studying with me for uh, quite a few months now. And uh, I'm sure that you have received tremendous benefits from learning the principles of our art, as well as developing a greater appreciation of uh, harmonious culture movement that I teach, and developing a greater understanding of how to apply these principles not only to Tai Chi or Qigong practice, but also to all types of applications throughout the daily life. Now. Obviously, one of the principles that uh, can be easily applied in daily life is the principle of relaxing under pressure. And that's exactly what our today's seminar is dedicated to. Essentially, we learn how to respond instead of reacting to oncoming forces. That's the definition of reaction. Reaction is acting against oncoming forces or forces that are being projected at you. Whether it's a physical energy projection, maybe an emotional energy projection, maybe a projection of uh, uh, some expectations, or it may be uh, uh, somebody's jealousy or various other things. So what we do is we learn how to realize that energy is being projected at us and then we roll with the punches. We literally relax under the pressure, under that uh, uh, energy projection, however intense it may be. If we tense up, we become a better target. We become more likely to get hurt. We become more easily aimed at. In other words, if you are a solid target, you are easy to aim at because you have certain shape, you have certain outline, you are predictable in terms of where you're going to be moment after moment. You become more fluid, like water. You become much harder to aim at because you are a really terrible target. You are unpredictable. You flow and change your contours all the time. You are not as rigid as solid matter. Instead, you are much more flexible. And also, you can adapt to the change in the situation. So that makes it a really terrible target for anybody to try to aim at. However, this also means that you need to be okay with being uh, sometimes not where you expect it to be. So this is an important part of our study. If you expect it to be somewhere and you ended up somewhere else, well, you have to basically accept it that that's okay. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the practice of rolling with the punches. If somebody is pushing you and you are falling, that's great that you may be able to roll instead of just falling with a thud 
and hurting yourself. When you're wrong, you may be able to survive the, the, the tumble and actually get back on your feet almost instantly. Except you're not going to be where you used to be. You're going to be in some new place. And that's okay because you survived. It's okay because you didn't get hurt. It's okay because you ended up back on your feet and ready to roll. So in other words, there are many benefits to rolling with punches, so to speak, or to just taking a roll instead of falling. It's just important to remember that it's okay to end up somewhere else other than where you used to be. And sometimes it may be a better place to be at. Not always, but it's certainly something that you may consider. And in fact, eventually with practice, you may navigate where you would roll. So not only the technique matters, but also the direction. You eventually may decide, I'm going to take a roll, and I, I want to be there. So how am I going to get there? I'm going to roll there. Instead of walking there, instead of jumping there, instead of running there, you're going to roll there. It's a new mode of transportation. It's a new way of getting from point A to point B. Now, it's not always feasible. For example, if you're on a really hard surface, say pavement, it may be uncomfortable to roll on it. But believe me, I learned how to roll on pretty hard surfaces, hard wood floors in the gym. So in other words, we didn't have any tatami like I have nowadays in my dojo. We didn't have any other soft padded surfaces to protect us from the hardwood floors. We had to learn how to roll on the surface that we had. Now, one of the students in our program posted a brilliant question on our Facebook group. By the way, I do encourage you to continue communicating with me and with other participants in our program through our Facebook group. Seems like we've had a lull when I was traveling for the month of March. Pretty much uh, the activity on the Facebook group stopped. I don't want to be the only person who's active on it, so I do encourage you to participate actively. The question that she posted was, is it okay to roll on sand, stay on the beach? Well, granted that she lives in the Canary Islands, a wonderful place in tropical seas with lots of beaches. Obviously, that's probably the first thing that uh, came to her mind. Oh, this is a great idea to roll on sand. And I responded by saying, it's okay. It just may not be comfortable if you kick up the sand and it gets into your eyes. <laughs> so there are pros and cons to rolling on the sand. Obviously, it's a lot softer and more giving than hard surface. On the other hand, you may also need to be careful of the sand so you don't breathe it. You don't uh, get it into your eyes or other orifices. <laughs> so, in other words, it's okay to practice on the sand or on the grass or on the golf course. <laughs> Just be careful of the chemicals on the golf course. 
uh, it's also okay to practice at home. For example, if you have a rug, that may be a nice, relatively soft surface. There are some people who are particularly clumsy or uncomfortable with rolling. I suggested to roll on beds, on, on the bed, just as long as the bed is uh, sizable enough, like queen or king size, that may be enough space to actually practice rolling. It's obviously a lot softer than pretty much any other surface you can come up with. So it's very forgiving, any kind of clumsy move. At the same time, you don't want to be stuck in the bed all the time. In other words, you want to learn how to roll in other areas besides the bed. Rolling in bed, of course, may be fun. It's part of our tantric shaping studies. But uh, you want to be able to learn elsewhere as well. The other thing that I also want to mention is that uh, the tendency that many people have uh, to roll sideways in so-called barrel rolls instead of rolling over the shoulders or hips. So in other words, instead of taking forward roll or backward roll, people often have tendency to default to the barrel roll because it's the one that they learn sooner. The, basically, the first thing that you learn usually becomes your default or baseline. But I would certainly encourage you to experiment and, and learn how to roll forward and backwards as well. Those are more functional roles than the barrel roll in many cases because in most situations, you're not going to be pushed directly sideways. You're going to be pushed at an angle. And whichever angle that is, this forward or backward rolls are going to be much more comfortable to take. But you need to have the technique. So obviously, you need to practice. The number one reason why we learn how to roll is so that we don't fall on the ground with thuds. In other words, we don't fall with an impact. When you're falling, you are being pushed downwards with a G-force, which is a very powerful energy. It's called gravity. And there is no escape from it, as far as I'm concerned, as long as you are on Earth. Maybe if you're flying in space, you don't need to roll. But then, of course, you'll have other problems <laughs> to deal with. Uh, the practice of rolling essentially teaches you how to support the weight of your body with at least one part of your body touching the ground at all times. That's the difference between rolling and falling. If you're falling, there is a point in time when nothing supports you. So you start accelerating towards the center of planet Earth, towards the surface of the ground. And that acceleration, the G-force, will lead you to develop such a velocity that by the time you actually do contact the surface with some part of your body, most likely the velocity will be so great that you will get hurt. Instead of that, rolling allows you to support yourself, maybe not perfectly, maybe not in a balanced way, but at least you're 
touching the ground so you know it's falling with at least one part of the body. It's almost like contact improvisation with the ground. <laughs> What's contact improvisation? It's a style of freestyle dancing. It's a method of dancing in which you connect with another person, at least with one part of your body. Sometimes it may look like push hands. Sometimes it may look like just a, a really fancy, sometimes flamboyant dance. Sometimes people actually roll all over each other on the ground. So it's totally fun. It's uh, another aspect of our tantric qigong studies. And in our next module, we'll actually look into the practice of push hands. So uh, we'll have more stuff to talk about in this particular regard. What I want to say is that with the ground, you learn how to connect with at least one part of the body. And next moment, it will be a different part of the body. And next moment, a different one. So it's not one part of the body that is supporting you while you're falling. No, it's you're rolling. So constantly a new part of the body is between you and the center of planet Earth. And that is exactly what allows you to continue motion. So the center of mass of the body is not being perfectly balanced on the support system that you have. Because only one part of the body or sometimes two, but in many cases just one, is supporting you. It's not supporting you perfectly balanced. So the center of mass actually starts moving, and as it moves, another part of the body supports it. And as it moves, it also gains momentum. So our exploration of rolling techniques includes the study of momentum, how to take advantage of it. Instead of struggling against it, we'll learn how to use it to our advantage. So remember, for example, if you're just rolling from side to side, you essentially need enough momentum to be able to get back on your knees and elbows. Once you figure that out, you transition to a little bit more complex technique, which is barrel roll when you're standing on your feet and hands, so basically on all four, keeping the spine as level as possible so the butt doesn't stick up and the head doesn't stick up. So the spine, including cervical spine, is as horizontal as it can be. And then you simply roll sideways because you no longer support yourself with the foot and hand of that respective side. So in other words, you turn hand and turn foot upside down simultaneously. That means you no longer have the support on the side, and so you start falling, but because you're touching the ground with at least one part of the body, or in this particular case, both arm and leg touch the ground simultaneously, you are not really falling. You're simply rolling. And that's exactly what we want to experience. Rolling over the side of your leg and over the side of the arm is something that requires developing some understanding of how to make your limbs kind of rounded so they're not sticking out with the elbows and knees 
or other joints, they are not uh, causing you a clunky uh, motion because you, you're too angular. That's exactly why we learn how to round up our shoulders, our arms, and also our legs. For the legs, it's a little bit difficult because the length of the legs is usually greater than the length of the arms. So that's why we don't turn the knee directly outwards. We actually roll on the side of the leg, not on the top of the leg. And that's exactly why we also make sure uh, that the rolling of uh, our body basically is done in a way that brings us back into more or less the same position. Again, once we started on our four, we want to end up also on the four. If you gain enough momentum, you may even take more than one roll if you need to. So in other words, you can continue rolling. You can travel greater distance from point A to point B then perhaps to point C, then perhaps to point D, so you can actually keep on going, you probably will get dizzy if you take too many rolls in one direction. So if you're practicing this, just make sure that you also roll in the opposite direction just as many times so that you basically stabilize the gyroscope. <laughs> well, it's not really a gyroscope, but it's the vestibulary apparatus inside of your inner ear that will get jumbled up if you roll too many times in the same direction. What we do with our rolling techniques is also learning how to position our arms in a way that they really serve the purpose that they need to serve. So, for example, one of the techniques that I suggest is using stick. Or imagine that the stick is a sword. And then you may use it in two sticks, imagining that both of them are swords. You don't want to chop yourself into pieces with your own weapons. So you need to keep them safely away from yourself, but at the same time roll in a way as though you're still holding onto them. And it's going to be a really cool way to learn how to basically give yourself a little bit extra obstacle or extra challenge. Obviously, you need to pay attention to another extra detail. And at the same time, that will improve your technique. It will improve your skill. So without the sword or without the sticks, you will be able to roll a lot better once you figure out how to roll with them. When you're rolling forward, you want to simply make sure that you don't stab the stick or the imaginary sword that you hold in your hand into the ground. So it literally has to kind of lie more or less flat on the ground. The tip of it can touch the ground first before your hand touches it. But the idea is really simple. You need to be able to make sure that you don't stumble over your sword and basically stab yourself to death. You need to put it just slightly at an angle, and then as you roll, you take it with you. 
As a matter of fact, it will help you get back on your feet, especially when you start practicing starting from your feet instead of knees. Initially, when you start learning forward and backward roll, I suggest doing it in the beginning, standing on one of your knees, because that keeps the center of mass a lot lower. So it's going to be a lot less likely that you're going to hurt yourself if you do something clumsily. And also just gives you a sense of assuredness that it's not scary. Once you learn how to do that, you can easily perform the same role from standing on both feet. The only thing is you will have more momentum as you are approaching the ground. And so you just simply learn how to utilize this momentum to get back on your feet by pointing that sword or stick that you have in your hand in the direction where you are rolling. So if you're rolling forward, for example, see how you can use the sword in the front hand. It's kind of almost like as if somebody is pulling you by the sword, helping you to get back on your feet. And when you're rolling backwards, it doesn't do the same. You simply need to point the sword away from yourself so you don't cut yourself. And make sure that you roll over your shoulder, not your head. As a matter of fact, in none of our rolling techniques, the head should touch the ground at all. Because if you're rolling on the carpet, you may not even notice it. But if you're rolling on a hard surface, you will bang your head on the surface of the, that you're rolling on. And if it is hardwood floor, it will feel like it's very uncomfortable. Maybe you can give yourself a goose egg. If it's a, a pavement, you may actually hurt your head, give yourself a brain concussion or uh, even a more severe injury. So I don't recommend ever touching the surface you're rolling on with your noggin. What I do recommend is to constantly keep a, uh, awareness of where your head is and importantly, where your neck is. So the neck and head are constantly working in alignment with each other so that the neck never cranes up. The neck never does something that will compromise the integrity of the whole structure. The whole structure needs to roll up in the ball. I sometimes jokingly say, well, imagine that you are not a human being anymore. You are an armadillo or, say, a hedgehog or some other of those, one of those creatures that can roll up in the ball. If you roll up in a perfect ball, what happens to the spine? Well, obviously, it's all flexed and is also curved in a way that creates a circular or kind of an arch-like that includes the cervical spine. So your head is tucked in with the chin close to the chest. Sometimes you may feel like turning the head slightly to the right or to the left, but still the chin stays close to the chest. If you are too proud of an armadillo, imagine, for example, an armadillo being really self-important. So he holds up. He's very proud of himself. 
then when he tries to roll up on the ball, when push comes to shove, he will actually have the head sticking up. So instead of this smooth circular surface of the ball, there will be a bump, the head. Well, what's going to get bumped a lot, or what's going to get hurt? That bump. So what we do with our head is basically make sure that it doesn't form the kind of bump on the surface of the ball that we structure with our body. Now, that also means we don't want to be proud. Pride is something that many people consider a healthy emotion. And people want to be proud of something that they've done or something that they've accomplished or gained. But in this particular situation, it may actually hurt you a lot. So I suggest letting go of pride, letting go of any sense of self-importance. And this will automatically manifest in your physical body as the ability to tuck the chin down. So proud people often have an issue with that. And they have difficulty to tuck, with tucking the chin down to the chest. As a result of that, they get hurt. And usually the part of the body that gets hurt is the part of the body associated with the energy center that's working over time. Oh, now I'm giving you a new transmission. It's essentially, uh, again, another aspect of tantric qigong. It's the understanding that there are different energy centers in the body. The Chinese tradition calls them Dantian. The Indian uh, tradition calls them the chakras. And uh, it's interesting that the Indians figured out that there are a lot more chakras than the Chinese did when it comes to Dantian. Either way, without giving you too much information about the energy centers, which is not part of this particular module, I can say that the part of the body that you're using over time is the one that becomes disempowered. If you're using a particular energy center a lot more than others, you deplete that energy center. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Now, when you deplete a particular energy center, it starts asking for attention. It may ask for attention in the form of a certain discomfort, and eventually, if you don't attend to it, it becomes pain. So it basically amplifies the call. It starts yelling at you instead of just kindly asking for attention. If you don't address the pain, or if you don't pay attention to the depletion of energy in that energy center, it often starts getting hurt, hoping that you will pay attention to it then. So in a sense, it's kind of a really interesting way to look at why certain areas of the body get injured a lot more than others. Different people obviously have different areas of the body that get injured on a more chronic basis. But I've worked with hundreds of people and virtually everyone or the vast majority of, of these folks who I've worked with have said that, yeah, 
when I do martial arts or when I do sports or when I just go for hike, I have tendency to hurt myself in a particular part of the body. Whatever that part of the body is, it's usually the one that is like a, a weak link. You know the phrase, the chain breaks at the weakest link? Well, the same thing happens with the physical body. It actually gets hurt at the weakest part of the body the most. So if the head is the part of the body or the energy center that we're using more than other parts, that part of the body will likely become energetically depleted and will want attention because where attention goes, energy flows. And if you are rolling on the ground, well, the head actually may scream for attention by literally banging against the surface that you're rolling on, hoping that then maybe you will give it attention. Well, you probably will, <laughs> except you probably won't be happy that it turns into this big drama or trauma. Instead of that, you could have given it attention a little bit sooner by recognizing, oh, interesting, I'm paying attention to my head because my head has been energetically depleted. I've been working this particular energy center a lot. How about I start using other energy centers as consistently as I use this one. This is the study of holding patterns. We'll have the whole module dedicated to holding patterns in our certification program. If you want to be certified as Chidao practitioners, I certainly encourage you to enroll in our certification program that is starting literally within the next week, uh, next uh, few weeks. pretty much at the point when you complete this program, the Tai Chi and Qigong coaching program, we will start the certification program. Perfect for you guys because then you just simply transition from one program to the next. And in the program, there are other aspects that are similar to what we already studied, and there's going to be a number of things that you haven't learned yet. So you will be able to benefit from going over some of the things that we already explored in our Tai Chi program, and you will also learn a great deal more because, well, we have a great deal more of things to explore in our programs. And what we will do is we will see also how understanding of holding patterns leads to understanding that there are different energy centers in the body that need attention. And depending on the way that you hold yourself, you can tell which of your energy centers are depleted and require empowerment. By empowerment, I mean bringing a lot more energy, focusing attention, and thereby bringing a lot more energy to it. We also have a practice of empowerment dedicated specifically to feeling the flow of chi and going with the flow. And you can also empower different parts of yourself, including different organs, or energy centers uh, with the practice of empowerment. And so essentially, it's a pretty universal practice that uh, serves as a, a major cornerstone of all advanced Shidao practice. Now, 
I also would like to spend just as much time talking about working with uh, uh, practices standing as we've spent today talking about rolling. I'm talking about the ability to roll with the punches without rolling on the ground. That's right. You don't always have to roll on the ground if you are responding to an energy projection. Rolling on the ground is a great skill to have, even if somebody is not striking you, or if nobody is striking you, if nobody is pushing you. You know, people sometimes lose balance, especially as they grow older. Often they have issues with balance and they have tendency to fall. And fear of falling, by the way, is one of the key reasons why quality of life of the older individuals goes down. So we need to ameliorate this fear. How do we do that? We learn how to be able to roll instead of falling if we lose balance. But interestingly, through the study of rolling and understanding of how your balance works, you actually become a lot more balanced because you no longer lose balance because you don't pay attention to it. Instead, you pay so much attention to your balance that you often don't even lose it ever. And this is the most sophisticated, the most uh, effective way to improve one's balance that I can think of. Maybe second to walking on on a tight rope, but obviously walking the tight rope is something that is beyond the scope of our practice. When we're standing on our two feet, or even one foot for that matter, we can still roll with punches without losing balance. How do we do that? Well, first of all, we stay grounded. So we distribute weight on the centers of the feet as much as possible. But then we also learn how to pivot in a way that we already explored in our previous studies. Uh, Remember the centering exercise? You essentially identify the center of your body, the axis, or in Tai Chi circles, it's often referred to as the Tai Chi pole. then you can pivot around the Tai Chi pole. How do you do that? Well, if you've ever seen or heard of, or maybe watched videos about the Tibetan prayer wheel. Tibetan prayer wheel is basically like a a cylinder or a barrel that rotates around the axis, the vertical axis. So there may be uh, an axis going through the uh, prayer wheel. And when you push it, it will spin. In which direction will it spin? Well, whichever direction you push it in. Well, even when you're thinking that you're pushing it straight in the center, most likely it will still spin because statistically speaking, it's very unlikely that you will be able to apply absolutely equal amount of pressure on both sides of the center of the prayer wheel. Similarly, if somebody is projecting energy at you, it's very unlikely that they will be able to apply absolutely equal amount of energy 
on both sides of your body. So if there is more pressure being applied to the left, which direction will you turn? To the left. And if more pressure is applied to the right, well, obviously you need to turn to the right. That sounds pretty obvious. But some people are saying, well, there are chances that still the person will push me right on the center. Then what am I supposed to do? Roll? I said, yes, you can roll. Or you can exercise the freedom of choice and decide whether to choose to turn to the right or to the left. It's going to be up to you then. So there are certain advantages to turning one way versus another. And it's not really about your side of the body, to turn to the right or to the left. It's about which hand the person who is pushing you is using. If the person is pushing you with the right hand, it's more advantageous for you to turn to the right because that will end you up or it will, um, this movement will end up so that you are on the right side of the right arm of the assailant. So you're close to the shoulder and not on his center line. If you pivot to the left while being pushed with the right hand, you will often end up on the center line of the opponent and his other arm becomes available to push you again or do something else nasty. So what we do is we also sometimes choose to turn to the right when the person is pushing us with the right hand or even punching or striking with the right hand. How do we do that? In order to make sure that energy is applied to the right side of your body so you turn to the right, Sometimes you need to step to the left as the push is coming at you. Even as a strike is coming at you, you can still step to the left using a natural step. Remember natural steps? If you step to the left, you need to use the left foot. Just lift it off the floor and move it to the left. If you need to step to the right, which foot will you lift off the floor? That's right. That can be your right foot stepping to the right. So, it's a pretty simple technique. You step sideways in relation to the line of fire, so to speak. So, if there's a projection of energy coming at you, you simply step directly at 90 degrees in relation to the vector of force coming at you. Then the force will most likely arrive to the other side of your body. So if you're stepping to the left, you're exposing your right side to the oncoming force. Okay? Well, then you know which direction to turn. You may even predict that the arrival of this hand is going to happen at certain moments. And so you start turning just in time, not too soon but not too late. You don't have to wait for the strike to strike you. <clears throat> you, <clears throat> you actually start moving just in time so that the assailant or a pusher, if it's a uh, practice partner, then the one person plays the role of a pusher and the other one is the recipient of the push. So the person who's pushing cannot change the direction 
because he already gained certain momentum. And it's too late to recommit to a different direction of movement. But at the same time, it's not too late for you because you turn to basically move your body at more or less the same speed as the speed of the oncoming force. If the incoming force is traveling fast, obviously you need to turn faster. But if it's coming at you slowly, well, then you need to turn slowly. I would recommend working with a slow motion first. You can't always speed up a little bit uh, at a time, but uh, I implore you to develop the skill at a very slow pace first because this will allow you to understand what you're doing, gain certain clarity about the technique. Obviously, the technique is very simple. You step to the left, turn to the right. It's being pushed with the right hand. It's being pushed with the left hand. You step to the right, turn to the left. When you do that, you virtually instantly position yourself at the almost uh, in driving is referred to as the blind spot. If you're a driver, you know that there is a certain part on the side of your car that you can't really see. Even when you look in the rear of your mirrors, it doesn't show up. So that's the blind spot. Well, it's essentially just on the periphery of your vision. And essentially what you do is you also end up being in that kind of blind spot of the assailant or a pusher. The faster the person is coming at you, the easier it is for you to end up in that blind spot because the person's momentum will carry them further forward. So you may even end up right behind them. Well, that's very advantageous, obviously, because the person doesn't have the rear view mirrors, <laughs> unlike the car. So you literally end up in the area where he doesn't know what you're doing and cannot control that. And often cannot protect himself from your counterattack. Now, if you are simply stepping to the side and turning, you know, counterattacking, instead you're just making sure that you are safe. If the push is coming slowly, you don't need to do much with your body other than just to pivot. But when the push is getting faster and faster and becomes more like a slap and eventually a strike, you may need to speed up the process a little bit. So when you start turning, you may need to send a wave into the side of the body that is about to get hit. And that's actually an excellent method for empowering any part of the body. You send a wave of energy to it. Now, what's interesting is that when you send a wave of energy to the part of the body that is about to get hit, you make it stronger, but not tense. Remember, tension is not a sign of strength. It's actually a sign of weakness. As a matter of fact, if you have tension in the part of the body that is about to get hit, and you try to send a wave to it, the wave won't go through. Because waves of energy 
And it's just simple muscular waves just don't go through tense tissues. They get stuck there. So you need to release the tension. That's what we call relaxing under pressure. You need to release tension by simply realizing that there's nothing to be afraid of. When you tense up, that's a pretty clear sign that you're afraid. Like, for example, somebody is about to punch you or just fainting punch. And if you tense up when the punch is coming, usually it's a sign that you're afraid of being punched. But if you relax instead of tensing up, you will be able to move a lot better. Because tension is frozen movement. So your movement is frozen if you tense up with fear or for any other reason. Sometimes people also get frozen with fear. Well, obviously they can't move very well. What we do is we learn how to move a lot better by relaxing, and we send a wave of energy to empower that part of the body. Now, there are certain styles of Qigong that teach to energize the parts of the body that are getting hit so that they would hit back. So in other words, they would contradict the oncoming force or go in the opposite direction. And that's basically one of the ways to explain such techniques as the iron shirt, Qigong. You literally energize the part of the body that's about to get hurt or afflicted in any way. In, in doing so, you also move that part of the body against an oncoming force. Now, if you remember, action against oncoming forces, that's the definition of reactivity. What I teach is how to become responsive instead of reactive. So in our case, instead of going against the strike, we go in the same direction where the strike is going. Ah, what's going to happen? Well, most likely, there's going to be no collision. If you are moving your body against the strike by sending away to it, it, basically, you are amplifying the velocity of the strike because the strike is coming at you at certain speed that may be accelerating. You start accelerating the part of the body that you're sending weight to towards the strike. It's going to double the speed. It's like a head-on collision of two cars. If one is traveling at 50 miles an hour and the other one is traveling at 50 miles an hour, the velocity of the impact will be 100 miles an hour. Now, we don't want that. Thank you very much. Because even though we can empower certain parts of the body, we still most likely experience some degree of damage when the strike hits us at a double the losses. Plus, we would have a much better way to handle the situation. Instead of being there and, and becoming a really rigid and kind of a resistance target, we actually disappear because when the punch is coming and it's about to hit your body, you literally move that part of the body in the same direction where the energy of the punch is going. Obviously, backwards or away from the fist 
that is coming or hand that's pushing you. Or it can be a foot on part of the body that may be striking. And you're moving in the same direction. And if you can, you may even move at the same speed. Then there's going to be no collision. It's like if you get on the freeway. I'm using another car analogy. If you're driving on the freeway, just getting on the ramp, you need to literally speed up your car to go in the same direction, more or less at the same speed where the other cars are traveling. Then there's not going to be any collision. If you get on the ramp going in the wrong direction, you're going against the flow. Then pretty much any collision will be a head-on collision. Well, instead of doing that and causing head-on collision with uh, uh, an oncoming force, we learn how to go with the flow because we realize that the energy of another person is just another manifestation of the universal flow of chi because that person is part of the universe. So if that part of the universe is colliding with you and you are resisting it, you're going against the flow of things in the universe. You're going against the Tao. Fighting against the Tao is really a futile endeavor. I've never seen anyone who would win. However, those people who go with the flow of the universe become invincible because anyone who goes against them will go against the flow of the whole universe. And on the other hand, if the person who is projecting energy at you is part of the whole universe. And you realize, well, his energy is coming at at me and I can blend with it. And I can move with the flow of the strike or energy projection. And then I am in the flow. Now that is the mastery that I promised you in the very beginning of our program. You may not acquire it over the course of the next week or two, but you know how to go for it. You have the method and you have the technique and you have the training system that allows you to develop this level of mastery. You literally become invincible when somebody's throwing a punch or a kick at you. You simply let that pass you by stepping sideways and turning just in time. Now, what's interesting about this technique is also that there are two energy waves. When you're turning just in time, you send a wave of energy to the part of the body that is on the receiving side. So it's moving backwards. Now, remember we're talking about pivoting around the vertical axis. So if one part of the body is moving in one direction, the opposite part of the body is moving in reverse. So in other words, you're pivoting either clockwise or counterclockwise around the vertical axis of rotation. What happens is that the opposite part of the body is capable of projecting energy towards the opponent. So notice how I mentioned that we have a much more elegant and effective way to deal with oncoming energy strikes or energy projections than just going against them. It's something that is, I would say, a cut above the approach that is taken by those people who study 
the iron shark qigong. Why? Because instead of being uh, rigid and stiff, like as if you were covered with armor, which is what iron shirt is about, you actually become much more pliable and fluid and literally just disappear because you're no longer where you were expected to be by the opponent. And at the same time, as one part of your body is moving away from uh, the striking arm, the opposite side of the body and your opposite arm or leg moves in reverse. It comes towards the opponent. So you receive the energy on one side and you simultaneously strike with the opposite arm. Now this is the secret behind the maxim, one of the Tai Chi maxims, that says, start second, but arrive first. You know, lots of people get confused about this particular saying because they say, well, how in hell is it possible to arrive first if you started second? Obviously, you give yourself a big handicap. You can't really uh, go much faster than the opponent because uh, there are certain uh, people who are really fast, and so it's really hard to be faster than them. So this is the secret behind this technique. You literally disappear from harm's way. You're no longer standing in harm's way when the, the projection is coming at you, whether it's a strike or a kick or a punch. And at the same time, you deliver impact with the opposite arm in the form of a push, punch, or, or some other uh, movement, elbow strike perhaps. What happens? You strike the opponent first because you didn't get hit, even though the opponent started first. The opponent initiated the aggression by throwing a punch at you, and you simply disappeared from harm's way while recycling the energy back to him. Now, this is what we call karma, <laughs> instant karma. It literally creates the instant recycling of energy that was projected towards you. Now, some people may say, well, well, if I didn't get hit, why would I want to hit the opponent? It's going to be like, I'm aggressor now. I say, well, then you have freedom of choice, how hard to recycle. You don't have to recycle with a major blow to knock the person out. You can just simply push them. The person who is putting himself in, in jeopardy by extending the arm while they're punching or pushing often will be out of balance if the energy is coming from a different angle. And that's exactly what's going to happen because your angle of recycling energy is not going to be coming back in an exact same uh, uh, vector going in reverse as the initial vector of energy projection. So you're not pushing back uh, from the same direction where the person sends energy. 
it's going to loop around and come from some other direction or some other angle. That angle often will be uh, an area of weakness of the assailant. And you can also aim for a particular part of the body in the opponent that is the weakest. Now, how do you know which part of the body is the weakest? Well, again, in our certification program, we have a lot of hands-on practices dedicated to understanding where there are areas of strength and where there are areas of weakness in different people. It depends on their psychological makeup, how they hold themselves, because holding patterns of tension are literally physiological manifestations of their psychological states. And so this person, for example, is proud of himself. Remember, we were just talking about the issue of pride. Well, that's associated with the head or upper dantian. So if you throw a punch in the person's head who is holding up, being self-important, that will have much greater effect than punch in the head of a person who is, for example, depressed. That's right. Depressed people sometimes get aggressive too. But what's interesting about it is that they're using a different energy center. The energy is not coming from the head. Therefore, the head is not becoming depleted as an energy center. So if you push or strike into the energy center that is not depleted, it will not have the same effect. It will not recycle energy into that particular center that is being used by that person at the time. If you recycle energy back into the energy center that is being used, it will create a short circuit and literally will disable the person for a moment. The person will not be able to send energy anymore outwardly because his energy circuits are short-circuited. If you know what I mean. So there was energy recycling basically coming back to the same source that the person was relying on. If that source is being hit or pushed, that basically incapacitates the person for a moment. So he may lose balance. He may fall over. He may even faint. Uh, or he may get knocked out. So one way or another, if the person is operating on a particular energy center, that would be the center that he could recycle into. But sometimes the people make moves that um, make it difficult to recycle in that particular energy center. So you can also experiment with where else can I recycle? And the rule of thumb is really, really simple. Most people unconsciously assume that they need to hit the opponent in the same part of the body that is their weakest. So if the person, for example, is, let's say, very self-important or proud of himself, most likely he will be aiming for your head because unconsciously he knows that 
if somebody hits his head, he will go down. So that is a simple explanation of why we need to literally recycle the energy back into the opponent's body where he was aiming on our body. If the person, for example, is attacking your right shoulder, see how you can strike the person into his right shoulder. If the person is attacking your solar plexus, that's the most optimal uh, area of energy recycling in his body. If the person who was attacking your sternum, for example, trying to hit you in the center of the chest, well, he's operating from a heart energy center. Great. That's where we need to recycle. Now, you don't always have to hit the person in the sternum if he's operating in a heart energy center. Just like the head doesn't have to be addressed, for example, from the front. You, have, you don't have to hit the person between his eyes or, or where the third eye is located to affect the third eye energy center or, or chakra. It can be addressed from pretty much any angle, from the side, from behind. So basically there is like a, a band of energy or uh, I would call it a, a, a ring of energy that surrounds the body or around a particular energy center from all sides. So if it is, for example, a heart chakra, then you can also recycle in the shoulder, or you can also recycle in the shoulder blade. You can recycle from behind into the upper back. Either way, it's going to be very effective. Just like, for example, if a person is operating on a solar plexus level, and trying to strike you in your solar plexus, you step, turn, evade the strike, and you can strike in any area at that height in his body. So whether it's a solar plexus or the ribs or the kidneys or the mid-back, it's going to work pretty much equally well from either direction. Now, solar plexus obviously has the plexus, the area where if you hit hard enough, you may uh, cause disruption of the breathing. That's beneficial. But there are many other nice areas that also serve as perfectly suitable targets. The ribs obviously work superbly well. And where there are the ribs, there is liver, and, and there is the spleen on the other side. Go for the back or a kidney. Go for the back. Uh, there is uh, uh, the mid-back. Uh, excellent area to strike if the person is operating from the solar plexus area. If, for example, the person is operating from the lower dantian or second chakra, that's going to be the most beneficial area to recycle energy. Usually the, the person like that would be aiming at that part of your body and you simply recycle energy in the same part of his body. So, to make the long story short, we simply learn how to recycle energy through uh, the reversal of the roles. 
or we turn the tables, as they say, instead of being you know, a victim of somebody's attack, you basically counterattack. But you don't have to beat the person down into bloody pulp. So instead of that, I always suggest to remember about karma. Because if you don't get instant karma, like he's getting, you may get some other karmic repercussions later. So whether it is um, using excessive use of force and perhaps dealing with the law complications or simply causing yourself a sense of uh, uh, remorse for beating the person up too badly who was attacking you and apparently wasn't really successful at uh, uh, his attack. Now, I certainly will be happy to teach you how to gauge the intensity of recycling. And that goes a little bit beyond our scope of, of this particular module. But we will continue working on it, I promise, in our certification programs. And you will master this subject matter so that you will have total precision and power when it comes to recycling energy just in time, just to the right spot, and just to the degree that is needed. Now, let me check if uh, anyone wants to have any questions. I don't see anyone uh, logging in to ask any questions. So I wish, wish you a wonderful week between now and next uh, Thursday when I'm going to be posting the new and final webinar of our program. And I encourage you to practice rolling with the punches, both on horizontal surfaces as well as in the vertical plane, pivoting around the vertical axis of the body, the Tai Chi pole. Have fun with that. If you don't have a practice partner, just ask your boyfriend, girlfriend, neighbor, uh, or co-worker to push you gently. Obviously, you don't beat them down, <laughs> recycling energy too intensely. You simply pivot and just tap them gently. This gentleness is something that will lead to development of goodwill. This person may eventually want to play more with you. And as you develop greater rapport with a person, they may even want to study with you. So you may end up with a student or if you don't feel like teaching them, do not hesitate to refer them to me. I will be happy to work with both of you as uh, a team. On this note, let me bid you adieu, and I will look forward to speaking to you in two weeks at our next teleseminar, uh, the, uh, two weeks from now. Until then, have a wonderful time. Bye-bye.